Welcome to the Sales Readiness Podcast, a podcast brought to you by the Sales Readiness Group, an industry-leading sales training company that helps businesses develop highly effective sales organizations. For more information, visit us at salesreadinessgroup.com. This audio track features a webinar recording on developing highly effective sales negotiators with two of the principals at the Sales Readiness Group, Ray Makla and David Jacoby. In this audio track, we share best practices and strategies to empower your sales team to skillfully negotiate based on value as opposed to price. You learn ways to reduce pricing pressure, use concessions strategically, manage manipulative negotiating tactics, and more. Enjoy. Where we're going to focus today is really on our uh, negotiation skills. We'd like to start really by getting some audience participation and I think you'll see this throughout that we really like to make this as uh, engaging and interactive as possible. So what we'd like to do is just bring over a poll here and get your thought on how frequently do your reps discount during negotiations. Uh, so if you've done this before, if you can see the radio buttons, you can just click on what you think is is the option. We'll keep this open uh, for a little bit, but you know, Dave, based on some of our past experiences, what what do you think we're going to see here on you know how frequently do people discount and how important is that? Well, it's clearly for. I mean, when we talk to our clients, it's it's one of the number one problems that comes up, and um, we see it a lot. And there's a lot of root causes to discounting, uh, and we're going to address many of them this afternoon. Um, so, Ray, maybe we should share the results. I know that we still have a lot of people voting, but just to kind of keep things moving, I think these results are not really are not a surprise. Um, but I think maybe we should share them now with the audience. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll go ahead and broadcast those now. And you know, what's interesting is if we if we look at the combination of sometimes and often, uh, you know, I think we're over eighty percent, eighty two percent or so that say they sometimes or often negotiate. You know, what I what I wonder, you know, based on the large number of participants we have on our session today, what that's costing those businesses. You know, if they're sometimes or often discounting, and what we hear a lot from our clients is, you know, they kind of get into this mode where it's easier to discount than to negotiate, and so they discount almost by habit. And boy, that can have a really significant impact on, on the bottom line and on margins. So I don't think that's surprising, but... Yeah, I think if we, we look at even adding almost always, you know, we're up over 90% uh, that, that are doing some discounting. Right. And, Ray, you know, you raised a really good point, which is the effect on margins. And I think it's really a mindset. The salesperson, they're not really thinking in most sales organizations, they're not necessarily thinking about margin dollars. So from their perspective, if something's $500, and they discount 5%, they're thinking, okay, $5, 5% discount. But as a percentage of overall profitability, that could be 20 or 30% discount. So from the perspective of the organization, that um, seemingly small discount of 5% is actually much greater. So it's much more harmful. Absolutely. And, you know, David, maybe you could speak through a bit about, uh, you know, the importance of price and, and why salespeople discount. I know we have... Uh, have some thoughts here to speak speak to. Yeah, I mean, negotiations, you know, in, this, in the world of sales inherently focus on price because that's the most obvious issue, right? I mean, if you don't ask for some discount off of the price, if you're the buyer, I mean, you're kind of deemed a loser, right? I mean, it's almost something you have to do. But when people have researched how buying decisions are made, price generally ranks 
uh, it's certainly not in the top two or three factors. It's generally much lower. So good negotiators try to uncover issues, non-price related issues, before talking about or negotiating on price. Um, the other thing is that um, for, um, for uh, negotiation, the higher up you sell in an organization, the less important price is. So when you're negotiating or selling to C-level executives, price generally is much less important than when you're selling you know, at, to a mid-level person. So Dave, why, why would that be? I mean, the higher you go up, if you say they're less sensitive to, to pricing, um, you know, what is important at that, at, in, in that case? Because ironically, and we're going to get into this, um, people at that, at that level understand that price is one factor, but overall value delivered, quality, reputation, things like that, dependability, those can be much more important to someone, return on investment. Those are kind of the hot button issues um, for key decision makers, not necessarily something as obvious as price. I think that's really true, and I think you know you'll hear that theme throughout here is that oftentimes the reps haven't done a good enough job articulating the value or making their case, and that's why they get into these uh, what we would consider kind of small or minor negotiations as they really haven't dif differentiated their solution. Maybe we could talk to, a little bit to that, David. Why do you, why do salespeople discount in general? Right. So, I mean, it's clearly on the margin much easier to offer someone a discount than to negotiate, right? I mean, the, the idea is, boy, if I just give this person the discount, I'll close the deal. And that may be a skills-based issue. Uh, they need to be trained on how to negotiate and how to kind of think about selling value much earlier. It could also be a comp plan issue, right? I mean, if they're comped on uh, gross sales uh, as opposed to gross margin numbers, their incentive may be just close the deal and move on. Um, they may not understand the economic implications. Like I mentioned before, a seemingly innocuous discount like 5% on the price may be much, much higher as a percentage of overall profit. Um, I also think that psychologically salespeople believe, you know, if I give this person a discount, they're going to like me. And if I say no, they may not like me. So they're not really viewing the relationship in a business framework. It's more of, I'm afraid to damage my friendship with this buyer. Absolutely. You know, and I think we see that often is that, you know, we, we think we can buy it uh, and, and want to provide that discount right up until the time that somebody has an even lower price. And then we find that, you know, maybe that uh, rapport and that relationship we've built isn't worth that much. Uh, or somebody comes in with a much stronger value proposition, and then you know no amount of discounting there can uh, can make up for the fact that we've kind of missed the mark. So you know we we've talked about some of the, the problems with discounting here. Let's go ahead and uh, talk through these, Dave. You know what are some of those other problems that uh, the discounting brings about? Right. You know, you know, for me, one of the biggest problems, and this is an economics term of signaling. Right. So when when you start making concessions, particularly if you do it early. Yeah, think about a flashing green light. You're signaling to the other side that you're going to make more concessions. So if the concessions come early and easy, um, you should expect that you'll have to make more concessions later on. And I do think that really hurts your credibility. So if you're trying to defend a premium price and right away you offer a 10%, 15% discount, um, why do you even have a premium price? So it really undercuts kind of all of the quality-based arguments you're making about why you're charging a premium price to begin with. You know, we talked about that from just 
what the research demonstrates is that it's really not necessary to make concessions, uh, particularly on discounting. And often um, the buyer is just testing you. And, you know, as I said earlier, they've been conditioned to just ask for a discount, right? Just ask. There's no harm in asking. And if you say no, you're not going to offend them. So in many cases, it's really not an important point. It's really just to test. And by saying no, um, not only are you saving money, but it also improves your, helps your credibility. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting point in terms of, you know, they've been trained or, or accustomed to ask for the discount. And as we say, you know, for every time we're training a sales team on how to be better negotiators, there, uh, you know, kind of parallel trainings going on all over, you know, the country, all over the world on how to be a better buyer and, and how to negotiate a better price and how to get the best possible deal. So uh, I think we definitely need to be skilled and consider that as our approach to respond to that. So, you know, we talk about kind of two fundamental concepts here um, to start off with in terms of selling versus negotiating. Can you speak to that a little bit, David? What's, what's the difference there? Yeah, I mean, overall, our perspective is, and, you know, you if you read the literature, this is fairly common, sell first, negotiate later. And a common trap that salespeople fall into is they're going through their sales process and the buyer starts raising negotiation points. Boy, that seems really expensive. Do you think you could take 20% off? We don't have budget this year. And salespeople fall into the trap of starting to negotiate. And the reason that's a trap is that, of course, you haven't established your value. And, um, you know, and if, if you haven't established your value, then obviously you can't defend your price. So we always want to tell our people, our salespeople, sell first, negotiate later. And they're fundamentally different parts. They're, they're fundamentally different skills. In selling, you know, as the slide says, you're identifying the buyer's needs and you're aligning your solution to that need. That's where you demonstrate your value. Negotiating assumes that's already happened. Negotiating assumes the buyer already, stand, already understands what their need is and they understand the value of your solution. And at that point, it's really about the terms and conditions. Uh, you know, Ray, a member of our audience, Russ, is making a really good point in the Q&A, which is few companies, you know, actually quantify their value or are able to do that, but they expect their salespeople to, quote, unquote, sell value. Absolutely. And I think unless we built that, that case up front, you know, it's much harder to, to come back to that and, and to use that as leverage. And in fact, we say people start negotiating way too early, and you know, we call that haggling, right? If, if somebody's talking about price and you haven't really established a preference for your product or the value of your solution, um, then you know, it's going to be a race to the bottom, and, and that's where you end up in more of a commoditized uh, type selling situation. Right. So you know, we'd love to get the, uh, the audience input here again, and we've really talked about the setup, and then we're going to get into our framework and our approach to, to negotiating here shortly. But I'd love to hear a little bit about why salespeople uh, do find negotiating challenging. You know, so if they understand that it's important, they understand that you know, they shouldn't discount or, or maybe they have parameters, why is it challenging? Why is it uncomfortable for them? And if you could go ahead and just chat into the window here uh, at the bottom of the pot, uh, pod, um, we'll, we'll get some of the responses. You know, Patrick says one of the things is fear, and I think it is. It's a bit intimidating. Um, you know, they're scared because maybe they don't know how to do it. Uh, you know, and Becky says uh, avoiding conflict. It's uncomfortable. 
they're not confident doing it. We're hearing from others here, um, you know, their fear of rejection. I think that's pretty common, right? They're out there making the 10 calls a day, and, and they don't like hearing no. I mean, are you seeing some common themes here, Dave? It, it seems like some yeah, of the Yeah, I mean, that uh, I really am. Before. I'm seeing, you know, fear. And, and really, fear is fear of rejection, fear of losing the sale, um, and not necessarily knowing how to negotiate. Um, it, it really puts a salesperson in an uncomfortable situation. You know, and if you think about it, the salesperson, you know, think about what's one of the most common cliches in, in selling. It's people buy from people they like. And people, you know, in the sales role, you know, likability is a really important trait. But in negotiation, there's this fear of, well, they're not going to like me anymore because we're going to go into some zero-sum game and I'm going to have to be aggressive, and that's completely antithetical to everything I've been doing as a salesperson. Yeah, you know, there's some really interesting comments coming in. Again, a great input from the from the group. Um, you know, Russ brings up a comment, we need to win more than they need to buy. Uh, you know, we have a quota to make, and we're going to talk about power and power sources shortly, Absolutely. but I think that's a really important point is, you know, oftentimes a salesperson thinks, well, I don't have a choice. I have to... I have to get this. It's the end of the quarter. I need to get this deal done. And they don't necessarily consider that, well, the, the buyer may not have a lot of other options or may have a real preference uh, to the solution. We, we always think we're kind of the underdog in that case. Yeah, and Ian's raising a really interesting point about not knowing their competitor. And one of the things of negotiating um, that often gets overlooked is how important preparation and planning is to successful negotiating. So... People, when they think about negotiating right away, you know, give me the tips and tricks, but planning is one of the most important parts of the negotiation process. Absolutely. You know, we're just getting some great input here. I want to keep us moving along, but, you know, some themes, too, about who we're negotiating with. You know, is this procurement? Is this a business buyer? Have we built the relationship? Some of those things that we would consider kind of fundamental uh, selling skills, you know, have we really built the relationship at the right levels? And those will p protect us and really insulate us once it comes to negotiating. And even with procurement, you know, the better job we've we've done building that relationship and, and establishing our value, um, the less uh, likely it's going to get chiseled away, you know, once we get into the contract negotiation. So right. I'm going to go ahead and close the chat pod here. Yeah, go ahead, David. Well, I was just going to make one final point, which is what's interesting, and these are just tremendous comments, is many of these comments have a root cause in either not knowing how to negotiate, you know, also a mindset of fear and what the proper role of a negotiator is, but also a lot of the, you know, many of the root causes come back to fundamental selling, selling the value. Absolutely, and in fact, that's where, where we're going to go next here. You know, I think um, our audience, as usual, uh, identified most or all of these and, and then some, you know, that really some of the common negotiation challenges is they, they don't feel like they have power, um, they're, they're stressed out about it or they're intimidated, they're running into these procurement or professional buyers on the other side that are very skilled in negotiating. Some people just love the game and, and you know, some people are really intimidated by it. Um, and again, that idea of either rejection or, uh, you know, somebody losing the deal and, you know, what else do we have in the pipeline to, to make up for it. So, you know, I think those are all themes that we heard and, and then some from the group. Again, I appreciate everybody from uh, responding. So I want to spend a little bit of time, and, and as we go through here, talking about our framework for negotiation. And, you know, there are a lot of different ways to think about negotiation. There are a lot of really great programs out there. 
what we've done is really tried to focus ours on the sales professional. In other words, how do we apply those skills and tactics in the most appropriate way to optimize and really uh, maximize the value of our deal and get the deal done while we continue to build that relationship? So we've really broken this out into to three components. And not surprisingly, you know, the idea of starting with the selling, of establishing value and a preference for your, your solution. And then we go into the planning phase. And as we'll talk about, you know, planning creates power. Planning makes you more prepared and actually helps with your confidence as you go into the negotiation. And finally, you know, going into those stages of negotiation and talking about the skills and the styles and the techniques that we're going to use uh, to actually work through that negotiation uh, event, if you will. So that's really how we think about negotiation, and, and we follow each module in, of this in our program. I wanted to start really by talking about this idea of, of selling value. And you know, I think we've really covered it, and our audience covered it, that if we haven't done that well up front, our negotiation is going to be much more challenging. And so you know, we find that oftentimes that is the root cause of negotiable issues or negotiation issues. In fact, when we have people come to us and say, well, you know, we're discounting too much, we like to go back and say, okay, what are they doing to really uncover the need and drive that conversation, you know, take control of the conversation and be able to understand what's most important to the customer? Because if we haven't done that, again, you know, no amount of uh, negotiation training is going to overcome the fact that they don't have a preference for your solution. Um, so we think that value really helps with that in terms of uh, setting you up for success, helping to overcome the idea of commoditization, and the, the better we are and the more confident we are, it really can help us build the leverage um, as we go forward. So that's really the idea of establishing value up front. Oftentimes, our program is overlaid with an existing value selling program that's in place. Uh, and we can leverage that and say, OK, what have we done up until this point? Now we're going to enter the negotiation. And what does that look like? Or we'll go through and talk about, OK, let's recap what value really means. We have a pretty simple model that we like to, to deploy, and it's just a way of really reinforcing this concept. And that's the idea of impact. So what are the value selling opportunities and categories that we can look at to establish value with our customer? In other words, is our solution going to help uh, the customer improve their image in the marketplace, and what's the value of that? Is it going to help them make more money or save money? You know, can we actually quantify that? Is it going to result in uh, productivity increases? doing more with less, either you know, being able to provide additional services because we have more, uh, more productivity available, uh, or maybe we're able to reduce some of our costs elsewhere. So um, you know, what is our solution doing to impact each of these categories? Is it improving competitive advantage, so, or, or their competitive advantage allowing them to compete in different markets or grow market share? Is it improving customer satisfaction uh, for the solutions they offer? Uh, again, because our solution has done something to help them improve how they're going to market or how they're interacting. And then finally, you know, is this helping to lower the total cost of ownership? Our solution may be more expensive today, but over a period of time, um, maybe it becomes the premium and also becomes a more cost-effective solution uh, because it's going to be more effective and, and we're not going to get nickel and dimed over time. So those are just some categories we look at and really helps to uncover the why. And we feel like you should spend the majority of your time up front really understanding that need and developing that need of your customer and moving them forward. And in fact, you can differentiate yourself just by the way that you sell and have that conversation 
helping them uncover some of these uh, areas and, and understand the value of the solution where they're, they're now looking at you differently maybe than the competition. Uh, typically when we're you know in one of those competitive or commoditized situation, we say, well, what have you done to establish yourself as a value provider up front? So that's just a bit of the you know discussion around value first. And the nice thing about that if we go through this exercise is now we can use those value categories and what we've uncovered when we get into the negotiations and we start talking about trades and we start, start talking about quantifying the value of uh, different negotiable issues that we have, um, we've established that and we can use that value to go, uh, go into those discussions. So David, as we move forward, you know, we go into that kind of planning phase and that really encompasses a number of these different components. Maybe you can walk us through uh, you know, what that looks like and why planning is so important in a negotiation. Well, right. Um, you know, as you accurately noted earlier, planning is power, and we would typically recommend that you spend about two-thirds of your time doing planning, preparation, and research, and understanding um, things like what are the important issues, obviously, what are the, what are the buyer's interests behind those issues? So if someone asks for a discount, why are they asking for a discount? Obviously, you know, you know as I mentioned before, um, it's very easy to ask for a discount, but maybe there's a real underlying budget budget reason they have. Um, what, what maybe their their bonus depends. You know, if they're in procurement, depends on getting a certain discount. So understanding what their interests are behind issues. So just you know, that's basic positional negotiation. Developing options. I know Ray, you'll talk about that in a little bit to uh, address those interests. Probably one of the most critical aspects of planning, and good negotiators' uh, research consistently has demonstrated, generally develop five to six options per you know issue, and options are very challenging. Being very creative, it, it, it's very difficult to do that on the fly. So taking the time and really pushing the envelope in terms of uh, creatively developing options, not that easy to do. Um, doing things like researching. Um, who your, uh, I don't like to use the word opponent, but I guess person on the other side of the negotiating table is, where are they in the organization? Are they a professional negotiator? Are they not? What are their motivations? Uh, and also mapping the organization and kind of where's the political power in the organization and have you adequately developed uh, customer coaches um, to support you? And then really preparing how you're going to talk, you know, particularly if you're doing, you know, engaged in a complex uh, negotiation, how are you going to um, sequence your offers and your trades, and how are you going to trade, and what are you going to trade for? Absolutely. So I think there's a lot in there, and I think it really speaks to how the the most successful negotiators are prepared and 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 plan for those negotiations. And you know, even though you say some people might be natural. Uh, or he's just a great, or she might be a great negotiator. Chances are, it's because they take the time to think it through and and really to uh, explore those different areas that you mentioned. So maybe you could walk us through a little bit about our negotiation planner, and then you know some of the actual uh, tools and techniques that we use here. So when we talk about uh, preparation and planning, you know, it's it's one thing to say that, but it's really important that you give people on your team a framework or a toolkit on planning. Uh, we have um, our value negotiation planner that, you know, I think it's like five or ten pages long, and it really helps the salesperson 
uh, define what the value is, how to quantify the value and present the value in its best possible light to a potential buyer, how to identify issues and what are the interests behind those issues, and then how to develop options to, to address those interests. And does that in a structured way. Now, there are a lot of frameworks out available, so we're not the only ones, but I do think it's important in the planning stage that your team, your salespeople take a very structured approach. So if you're a sales manager and you're involved in a weekly meeting, you can talk to salesperson and say, let me see your, your negotiation planner. How are you going to approach this negotiation? What are the issues? What are the interests behind those issues? So that you can have a much more effective uh, uh, coaching session, you know, if you're the manager, to understand what your sales rep is going to do in that negotiation. Absolutely, yeah. I think just having common language and a common framework can be really, really effective. And you know, one of those areas we we use and we talked about is uh, power sources. Um, can you can you speak to the master tax strategy and where this comes into play? Right. So you know, when we're talking about setting the stage in terms of the mindset you really need to have for negotiation, uh, the default mindset of a salesperson is, I have no power, and the buyer has all the power. The buyer can say no. And I just have to give and make concession after concession, hoping that if I make the next concession, the buyer will say yes and we'll be done. But the reality is much more complicated. The reality is that as a seller, you do have power. Um, you know, the, the buyer may be highly motivated to get a deal done because there's some, you know, uh, uh, strategic in, strategically important initiative that has to get done now. Um, they may not have a lot of alternatives. You may bring some unique skill to the table. You know, you, your firm may have an incredible track record working with that company. Uh, you may have some technical expertise. You may have the existing relationship. I think my favorite power source is time. The more time a buyer invests with you, the more power or leverage you have. Um, as they develop, you know, as they put more time into it, um, they're going to want to do business with you, and they're not going to want to spend, you know, even more time sourcing other people. So kind of one takeaway is that if you want to increase your power, one thing to do is get the other side to invest more time. You know, have them bring more senior people to the meetings. As their time investment increases, their commitment level increases. Um, so these are just some categories of how to think about power, but um, I think if I'm preparing for a negotiation, I want to do this analysis and really understand what are the sources of my power. And on a relative basis, uh, what's my power relative to the buyer and relative to the competition? Absolutely. And, you know, I think we often hear, well, you know, I, I don't, the, the customer has all the power. And, in fact, we have that discussion in our workshops. You know, why do we think that? Why do we let them get away with that? And, in fact, you know, time, as you were talking about, David, the other part of that is if the customer has a time constraint and they want to launch a program, you know, by the, the end of next quarter, um, you know, that, that provides a bit of urgency, provides a deadline out there, and may actually work in our favor if we're the ones who can satisfy that requirement uh, in the time that's available. So I think, you know, doing that inventory, if you will, as you mentioned, and being able to understand our power sources can really help bolster our confidence you know, go into that negotiation a little bit more prepared and, and maybe a little bit more confident that we can get the deal done. Right. So we'd like to get a, yeah, get a little bit more input from our audience here. 
uh, and and uh, shifting gears a little bit, talk a little bit more about the skills of great negotiators. I mean, one of them, as we mentioned, was power sources. We've got another chat pod open here, and what we'd like to find is, you know, what what do you think are some of the most uh, important skills and attributes of great negotiators? Um, David, I know you've looked at this topic uh, extensively, and it'll be interesting to see what the audience uh, responds with. You know, again, um, we're getting some great great input as usual. Yeah, I mean, I I really like the input. I I think listening skills very underrated. Probably be probably one of the most important selling skills and negotiating skills. Um, people have a you know at the personal level people have a natural desire to be listened to. And when you enter the negotiation realm, being a great listener is so important. Absolutely. You know, what's interesting about this is these could be considered selling skills as well, right? If we build right. that foundational level, if we work to really uh, increase our questioning, our listening, our, our ability to build rapport, um, you know, I think that can really uh, improve our ability to negotiate. And really, that's what we're trying to do, right, is understand what's most important to the customer, uh, help them develop their needs, and then have that conversation as we build the relationship. So, you know, these are all great, uh, great points coming in about, uh, you know, how important it is. And in most cases, really to develop good selling skills first uh, and then use those. You know, nowhere in here do I see anything about tricky tactics or, you know, being a, a hard negotiator, it, it's really about a lot of those fundamental skills that make you better positioned when you go into the negotiation. Right. I mean, I think those sharp tactics, hardball tactics, are really overrated. We're going to talk about when they, they may be appropriate to use, but in most cases, you know, I think our audience, once again, the wisdom of crowds are really nailing it, which is these fundamental skills are important to selling and they're just as important in negotiation. Absolutely. Okay, well, you know, I know we have a few more responses coming in. Again, I appreciate all the input. Uh, I want to keep things moving here. But, you know, I think it is important to think about what makes uh, somebody successful as a negotiator and what are some of those things that we can do to help improve. And, you know, when, when they've looked at uh, successful negotiators and they benchmark this across a number of different industries, I think we do see some of these common themes. And, you know, again, a number of these uh, the audience hit on today um, one is the ability to build relationships, and the more that we can invest and, and develop those relationships, the more they will endure when we get into those, you know, stickier situations or those negotiable issues down the road. You know, I think a key one is focusing on those interests, and, you know, we'd make a distinction between positions and interests, and the more we can understand what the underlying interest is uh, that's really motivating the person beyond just what may be the, the uh, public position that they've stated or the demand that they're making, the more that uh, the negotiator can focus on those interests, the, the better off they'll be. Also, and we'll talk a little bit about creative options, but um, the more creative we can be in thinking through how we satisfy the customer's interests, and there may be multiple ways to do that, and, and uh, you know, successful negotiators are one that can come up with you know, not one or two, but more like four or five options and then we can package those in creative ways to put a solution together. Uh, and I think we can really differentiate ourselves just by the way we go about that. We've already talked about power sources as, as something that uh, negotiators do and, and take an inventory. Uh, and then you know we talk a lot about trading. And we trade strategically. And we make a key distinction that we don't like to concede. 
So a concession is when you give something up and you don't get anything in return. Uh, but a trade is something where I, I'm willing to uh, appreciate and understand your position and the interest behind it. I'm willing to accommodate that, but I'm going to ask for something of equal or greater value in return. So I'm going to trade strategically uh, on those key positions or on those key items. And then finally, uh, great negotiators typically have a walkaway position. So they have a, a point in mind where they realize that you know this business just isn't good doing uh, at, at a, a price lower than this or under these terms, and that it's okay. There are more deals out there, and we'll go get something else. But you know, I think often case, especially with more junior reps, they kind of fall in love with the opportunity, and they're not willing to let it go, and they'll chase it right to the bottom, you know, to get that deal. So I think we really need to establish that walk away position and, and understand what that is for each deal. So one of the items we talked about was uncovering interests. And you know, as we go through, and we said this was one of those keys, and I think it came up from a number of the, the audience uh, responses, um, is, is a key distinction for great negotiations. And we always think about asking those great kind of interview investigative questions to really understand. Can you tell me why that's so important to you? Or tell me more about that. I'd like to understand that perspective. You know, we're really digging in. If they make a statement or, or a demand, we're really trying to understand what's behind it. You know, tell me about your concerns or who does this issue affect? You know, where did that requirement come from? What, what's their perspective? So we're really starting to peel back the onion. We're starting to understand a little bit more about that situation, um, you know, asking, do you know, why this requirement's in place. So. Uh, as opposed to a lot of times we get really frustrated and say, well, they're making this demand. Either we need to take it or leave it. And the point is, no, we can step back, ask those questions, you know, ask those whys multiple times to get to the underlying need, and then say, oh, now I understand your interest, and I think we have some creative ways that we can accommodate that. So you know, I think they're, they're really uh, an important concept to always have those next few questions that you can ask to uncover those, those interests. And once we understand those interests, we want to develop options. And as we said, you know, developing multiple options will make you more successful, and it will allow us to package and sequence those options uh, in a way that will maximize or, or create more value in our solution. And it also gives us more that we can trade and uh, you know, provide as we go into those discussions as options that we can go back and forth and trade strategically. You know, I have an example, and it's been about 10 years as a partner in an IT services firm, and we were all, always confronted with the idea of bill rate, right? Well, that bill rate's too high. We'll, we'll never pay that, or, you know, we have a set bill rate for that. And so I, I think over time we got pretty good at asking those questions to really understand, well, you know, first, understand the interest. Is it the actual hourly rate that you're concerned with, or, you know, is it the burn rate, the, the, the cost per week or the cost per month, or is it an overall budget you're trying to stay, stay in? So help me understand, you know, what's really behind that, or is it just because you don't want to pay that hourly rate, but you'd rather pay by deliverable? And so now we can start to develop di different creative options of, well, you know what, you don't even have to see the bill rate. Let's do this as a fixed deliverable contract. Let's do this as a monthly burn rate, and we'll, we'll fix that as a monthly rate as opposed to an hourly. Or maybe we can package the team together, and we'll give you a blended rate that will apply to all of the team members on site. You know, so now we start to create some creative options that we can go back to the customer. They may have a demand, a stated position around a bill rate. We find out the interest is, oh, you know what? No, we just can't spend more than this amount 
um, you know, on an hourly, or we can't spend this amount per month, well, maybe we can break this up over a longer period of time, or maybe we can actually invoice over, uh, you know, two quarters or two fiscal years. So again, there are just a, a number of different options we can start to explore once we kind of break that down. But that's just one example of, you know, where having those options allowed us to come back with, you know, many more creative ways uh, to have a conversation with the customer, and oftentimes made it more successful for them because they weren't fixated on this one negotiable item. So really, one of the things that that helps us do is this idea of trading strategy. And so where this all boils down is we really want to understand, again, because we've worked really hard with our customer to understand what's important. So that's on the y-axis here on the left of buyer value. What's most important to them? What's, what's higher value versus lower value? And for us, you know, simply as we can look at, well, what's the cost to us of what they're asking for? Is this a high cost thing, like you know, providing a discount? Or maybe it's a less cost to us, like some additional training or additional warranty that maybe doesn't have as big of a dollar cost to us, but of high value. And so we say we really want to start in that upper left quadrant, which are things that would be of highest value to the customer, but don't cost us very much. And those are great things for us to be able to trade and negotiate on um, because they appreciate and, and recognize the value, but they don't really cost us a lot uh, to, to negotiate with. In the upper right are things that are high value and high cost, and we want to be really sensitive to those and make sure if we're trading something, we're getting something of equal value. We better know the value of what we're giving up and we're, what we're getting in return. And then if we're moving right. around here, you know, the lower left is those that are lower value and lower cost, they're not going to have much impact on the deal. We may be able to throw a few of those in, or you know, maybe the, some of those are things that we do offer uh, just as additional um, uh, concessions to the customer, uh, but we're, you know, they're, they're not as important. And then finally, those that you know, are high cost but low value, we, we want to uh, avoid those areas because obviously um, you know, those, those don't, aren't as important and really cost us a lot. So, David, do you have a comment on that in terms of how that Well, you know, I, I, I worked with a client those? recently. Yeah, we were working with them on a negotiation program, and one of the problems that they would have, they were a, a, a marketing consulting firm, was they were frequently giving away because the client would just say, hey, can you produce this report? And it was, sure, why not? They were giving away very high-cost, low-value um, services and what they did is we we talked to them about it and um, we were we trained them on asking questions to really uncover why why do you want it you know why is that and who what what business decisions are you making based on this information and what they found is that in many cases there really wasn't a clear business need and when the buyer understood what the cost was to produce that report, they said, oh, it's really not that important after all. And in that particular case, I think it was about three or $400,000 per report. It's a very sophisticated marketing firm. So understanding when, when you start trading things, what the relative cost is to you and the value is to the customer is exceedingly important to making strategic trades. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, this framework, and you know, maybe it's not something you go through in each and every negotiation, but it's a great way of thinking about those trades and also thinking about, let's get everything out on the table. Let's make sure we uncover all those issues. We try to quantify and value them as much as possible. And now we're going to be much more prepared to go into those negotiations. And that's really the final stage here is to actual, actually prepare and, 
and go into a negotiation, and this is where we really talk through some of the styles and tactics and, and techniques that are used in negotiation. David, maybe you could pick it up here and, and just talk a little bit about that and you know how you might use the negotiation styles as you move forward. Right. So one, yeah. Um, so there, there are many. There's a lot of literature on different negotiation styles. You know, we we've identified four, but whether you have three, four, five, six, it's really not that relevant. You know, at some point, um, the most common one from a a sales rep's perspective is the accommodating style. Here, you're focusing on the other party's interest, you know, and not so much your own, and that's a dangerous one. Uh, from a concession perspective, right? You're, I'll just give the discount because I want to get the deal done. Um, next is collaborative, and here you're doing a much better job of balancing your own interests with those of the other of, with those of the other side. Um, the next one, um, go ahead, Ray. You can just advance it. Is persuasive, where you're trying to convince the other party to change their point of view to your point of view. And then the last one is adversarial, and of course this is where you focus on your own interest to the exclusion of the other sides. Now, in most cases, the collaborative style is a preferred style, but not necessarily in every case. And what I'd tell you is to consider um, the long-term value of those relationships. So, you know, when you're in a very transactional business, you're never going to see the other side again. It may not necessarily be a bad thing to be adversarial. Um, if, however, but that's generally a, a, you know, a minority. If you're like most business-to-business -business sellers where you want to build the lifetime value of that relationship is high, then being adversarial is definitely a short-sighted strategy um, from a negotiation-style perspective, and you want to be much more collaborative. Absolutely. You know, I think in most business-to-business -business relationships, we are trying to build a long-term relationship, and, you know, there's value in being collaborative and, and being able to get the next deal as well. Um, and, and that's really difficult, especially when we're up against an adversarial negotiator. And so, you know, that's an area that we explore in, in our workshops is, you know, how do we respond to that and what can we do uh, to make it appropriate? So, you know, the other thing we talk about is negotiation tactics. And really, the idea of manipulative versus collaborative, and you know, there there are different ways to think about this, and different tactics that come into play. Can you speak to that a little bit, David, in terms of you know, wh wh what do we say? How do we do? How do how do we respond when we run into some of those more manipulative tactics versus collaborative? Well, first of all, just I want to back up one second. And when we use the term tactics, we're certainly we don't use it in the pejorative sense, right? I mean, we we use a term in a much more neutral way, and a tactic is just a negotiating tool. So, you know, manipulative tactics are often associated with sharp tactics or um, tactics that you know things like deadlining or. And I know Ray, you're going to talk about these in a minute. But we've all probably been the victim of manipulative tactics. And really, it kind of begs the question, is it appropriate to use those tactics? And I would kind of frame the question, what, is you, what type of relationship do you want with the buyer when the negotiation is completed? If you don't mind having a bad relationship, you know, and I'm not suggesting you do this, but if, you're transa if your sale is inherently transactional, you know, low value, um, you'll never see the buyer again. It may be okay, at least economically. Um, but if you're like most business-to-business uh, -business sellers where the cost of getting that buyer is so high and you want to have an ongoing relationship, 
then while in using a manipulative tactic you may win the battle, you will definitely lose the war in the long run as people will say, you know, boy, that Ray is difficult to deal with. Um, at the last minute, he raised issues out of nowhere. He changed, you know, he said one thing, he did something else. So I certainly wouldn't recommend using it, uh, you know, but there are very limited circumstances where it may be okay to use manipulative tactics. Yeah, and I think the other important uh, factor here, David, is w we just need to understand and it, there's value in being able to recognize when these tactics are being used because it also prepares us to be able to respond appropriately. So, you know, we'll, we won't go through all of these today, but I think people are probably familiar with a, a number of these. And I think it's important, you know, when we're looking at these to say, oh, that's what they're using. And so, you know, I think we, we get into these a lot, um, you know, the hypothetical buyer. Well, what if, what if we did this? and they're getting you to, to commit to it, the problem there is once you commit to it, uh, it becomes, you know, kind of the written law as opposed to, oh, well, that was just a hypothetical. And, you know, we say, well, wait, is that going to be in the contract or are we actually, um, you know, committing to that? You know, that comes into play with future promises. Well, if you do this contract at this value, we'll give you all our business next year. And I think, you know, we really need to step back and say, well, are, are we willing to put that contract in place for next year or, you know, some, some reference to that or, you know, is this just a discussion about today's contract because that's really all we can negotiate at this point. Um, you know, I think a lot of people have been trained on nibbling. That's the, uh, oh, you know, just one other thing or especially, you know, as we're getting down to the last deadline, oh, can you throw this in? And, you know, that's like the, the floor mats and the undercoating at the car dealer. You know, they're, they're nibbling a little bit more and a little bit more. So, you know, I think it is important to think about all of these, and we've all seen the good cop, bad cop, or good guy, bad guy technique, um, you know, where s suddenly a mysterious uh, negotiator comes into play at the end, and we're forced to kind of go back to ground zero. And I think we really need to, to really fall back on what we've agreed to previously, what we've documented, you know, the value we've created as a way of saying, well, you know, I don't know who this guy is, but here's what we've already established and agreed and, and trying to get done. So there are lots of ways to combat these, but I think it is important to understand and be able to identify, and even just putting a name on them can help us uh, realize that, oh, that's the tactic that's in play. So I want to keep us moving here. Uh, about 10 minutes left, and we want to allow some time for questions. Um, but the other areas that we spend a lot of time and, and we have a lot of interest from our customers is the idea of procurement. And, you know, when procurement comes in, what are they trying to accomplish? And, you know, how can we respond? And, and oftentimes it is that procurement's job is to get the best value for the organization and to control risk. And if we understand that, you know, sometimes it's very important for us to really go have that discussion with procurement, try to understand what they're trying to accomplish, and then see if we can't uh, respond appropriately because they may be dis disvaluing or discrediting your, your value proposition. Um, they're going to try to break up your solution and, and put it onto a spreadsheet, right, so that they can, can compare apples to apples even when you're not selling uh, the, the same solution as your competitor. Um, you know, they often want to limit the access to the business because they realize a business stakeholder may not just be concerned with price. They may con be concerned uh, or value the overall solution, uh, but they want to really limit that, especially in an RFP-type situation. Or, you know, if it's a past client you've had, they may bring up some previous uh, delivery and say, well, you know, this either didn't go so well or this was done at a cheaper price. Um, so I think we really need to understand and be prepared and kind of think through all of those things before we get involved 
and also you know a third party negotiator uh, sometimes comes into play. So I think what's really important for us is to understand that procurement may come into play and be a, be re, uh, prepared to respond to those items and also backing way up to selling value, the better job we've done up front establishing our relationships, um, you know, developing the value to the stakeholders, uh, we've really been able to then uh, smooth over the discussions with negotiation. And a lot of times the business stakeholder will just say, hey, uh, you know, let's get this deal done. I want it to go through. The last thing procurement wants is to blow up a deal and have to go explain to the business that you know they they couldn't come to terms or they couldn't get the contract done uh, when the business owner wants it done. So I think that's really the power that you have going into those discussions. But it's a it's a fascinating discussion and uh, one that's worthy of a, a whole separate webinar. Um, one final model that I'd like to share is just our tactic model for responding um, when somebody is uh, is adversarial in their negotiations. And you know this is similar to our objection handling model, but it really encourages us to think through and and think about what's going on. And so this is the case, you know, if somebody's really kind of almost jumping across the table or is really being uh, unreasonable, you know, the first is to take a step back. Um, you know, there's a lot of literature that says to kind of step to the balcony or or take a step away and and try to look at what's going on. We say take a deep breath. You know, kind of kind of slow down, realize this isn't personal, acknowledge that there's disagreement. So you know, we want to be able to say, oh, yeah, we understand, hey, this sounds like it's a really important issue. Let's acknowledge that. Let's get it out there. And let's clarify what's, what's behind that. What's really important? What's that concern? You know, this goes back to the issues and the interests. So let's clarify why this is such an important issue, why it's getting heated, perhaps. And then we want to transfer the focus. And what we mean by that is let's go back to that shared interest or what that common area is that we can agree to and transfer the focus back to, you know, we're trying to get this deal done because it's going to be good for both parties, and here's why. Or we're trying to help you advance your business, right? Isn't that your goal? So let's transfer the focus back to what's really important. Then we can investigate those alternatives, right, come up with those options uh, to, to get past that issue. And eventually, uh, we, we hope, be able to confirm that we've addressed and that we can confirm the next steps moving forward. So we put that out there just because it's a really, uh, I think, useful way of thinking of, you know, you can always have a tactic to respond uh, to an adversarial negotiator. You don't have to get take it personal or get flustered, but you can just take that step back, think it through, and then you have a model to apply. So those are really some of the core models that we've uh, tried to walk through just to give you a little taste of the program. David, I think you're going to provide a little summary here, and then uh, we wanted to allow some time for questions. So, you know, we covered a lot of ground here, David, but you know, what are some of the high points in your mind? Well, I think the most important thing to remember is that most negotiation problems in the sales context are rooted very early in the sales process. So if you do a good job of selling value, negotiations should be fairly straightforward. Uh, to the extent you have any kind of complex negotiation, planning is absolutely essential uh, for success and you should have a very structured planning process and spend two-thirds of your time planning, one-third negotiating. Um, I think many sales professionals forget they actually have a lot of leverage. They have much more leverage than they think, and they, you should not fall into the trap of thinking that I have to concede on every point, otherwise the buyer's going to walk away. The buyer may not have great alternatives. 
So you have more leverage than you think. Uh, basic positional negotiation, focus on interest, not positions. Um, when you're trading, uh, Ray, the trading matrix is a great tr tool. Strategically trade, that helps you avoid discounting. Uh, trade for things. Be prepared when you trade. Uh, when you're doing your planning, kind of plan your trades in advance. And trade things that are of high value to the buyer and low cost to you. And finally, recognize and manage manipulative tactics. Um, I think the most important thing on the tactic model, Ray, my favorite step is take a deep breath. Don't take it personally. And I think just telling people to do that is a huge. Once they do that, they really calms them down and they understand that the person on the other side is being manipulative. Absolutely. So, you know, again, I think there's a lot of uh, great, great points in here, a lot of summary information. And one of the things that, you know, we want to really leave the audience with is we think it is very valuable and, and appropriate to uh, train and to be able to help your sales professionals become better negotiators. You know, it's not black magic, um, and it's also not something that takes, you know, two weeks at a college uh, course to learn. I think there are some skills and techniques that they can learn in pretty short order. And so, you know, some of those things is understanding just how valuable it is to the organization in improving margins and revenue and also, you know, what that can mean to the business if you're able to more effectively execute your negotiations. So um, from an SRG perspective, we, we provide a number of resources in support of this program and our others, including white papers, a monthly newsletter we provide, uh, ongoing webinars that are, that are conducted every month. And then, as I mentioned up front, uh, you know, our, our new book on the high-impact sales manager uh, that's really the toolkit for the frontline sales manager to execute more more effectively. And I just wanted to provide that those uh, resources are available through uh, salesreadinessgroup.com. And at this point, actually, I'd like to turn it back over to Jackie. And uh, Jackie, I know you have uh, an offering as well as uh, we want to take some time for a question and answer in the last few minutes we have. Yeah, thank you, David and Ray. We've received quite a few questions, so uh, let's get started. Our first question, number one, our sales reps often say it's hard to establish value because the service we offer is similar to our competitors. How do you address that challenge? Well, David, I'll take a, a stab at that and then love to hear your thoughts as well, but, you know, I think that does go back to our start of the conversation about if we really haven't worked hard enough to uncover what's important to the customer, then all the solutions look the same. And the customer is going to be really inclined to say, well, yeah, these are apples to apples and your apple costs more. And I think what we really need to do is work hard to upfront uh, understand what their priorities and needs and requirements are and then understand how our solution uniquely meets those requirements in a way that no one else can touch. And, and that's how we get out of the commoditization game. And if we can't find that differentiation, I, I think we either need to work harder or we need to you know, maybe call on a different type of customer or reposition our, our value proposition uh, because at that point we really will be uh, just competing on price. Yeah, I mean, let me just make a point on commoditization. Um, every product is different, right? There's very few, if any, industries where one seller dominates and has 100% of the market. And the reason is that er people are able to differentiate. You know, in economics, the classic commodity that you can't differentiate is salt. And that's the example they always use. But, 
you know, at dinner last night, my wife bought, there's gourmet salt now. It's like Himalayan salt. There's salts from around the world. So even something as, as simple as salt, people are differentiating. So when I hear that, it's really thinking about the impact categories and thinking about how your product or solution is going to help your customer achieve a better a business outcome. And when you frame it that way, I think the sales reps are in a much better position to di start differentiating in the buyer's mind, you know, their presumably premium price product or service. Thank you for listening. If you found this episode valuable, please leave us a positive review on iTunes and share this track with your network. If you are looking to improve selling skills, you may also be interested in getting a complimentary copy of our white paper on maximizing the effectiveness of sales training to learn how to achieve sustainable success from sales training. You can download your free copy at bit.ly forward slash SRP training. Again, that's bit.ly forward slash SRP training. Thanks again for listening. And remember, better skills produce better results.